Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert, Layman Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. On this episode, we chat a little bit about our TGFBI leagues, league baits, and a little bit of strategy. We also chat about the Universal DH, the new pitcher list player pages, and the landscape of pitching heading into 2022 drafts. But before we get to all of that, Alexander, how you doing? You know, I'm doing pretty well, Matt. Um, Good to see you again. Yeah. It does feel like it's been a very, very long time. The last time we recorded, we did PitchCon, right? We We haven't done an episode since. And so that was a while back now at this point. That was January 28th, so. Yeah, I, I think that break is not going to be normal going forward, you know. Oh, no, it is not. <laughs> no, no, we are um, back weekly. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll take what I can in terms of, you know, like that not having to like set aside my weeknights for you. But, uh, you know, it's nice to be back into a routine as well. I think it will be good to, to be back into a routine. I, I have to give you a lot of props for that PitchCon episode. That was actually mostly just Alexander saying really smart things and Matt being there, too. Uh, so well done with that. It was very impressive, um, to hear you just kind of go through all of that. And it's, it's really, really powerful stuff if you get it. And I love how you, and again, that's what we're trying to do here with this pod, right? Is to take that complicated stuff and help people get it. Um, but I think you did a really, really nice job. Uh, one of the fun things that kind of spun out of that, that is uh, not yet like fully public or anything, but you know, just a cool thing that probably will happen at some point is uh, Jordan White uh, bunt singles on Twitter. If you're mm-hmm. not a fan of him, oh, whatever, you're you're doing the wrong things. But I'm <laughs> you should be. Getting there. Um, he messaged me and he was like, "Hey, like you said that we could like do something where we would adjust it by count." So. Can I do that? Should we do that? At the same time, he was also drafting right next to me in the On The Wire Listener League. So he was like (laughs) asking me about how to put this together and also like asking me, he's like, hey, when this comes back around the turn, who are you going to pick ahead of me so I don't have my heart broken ahead of time? And, Mm, you know, yeah, so I don't have my heart broken. That's very well played, Jordan. There was no collusion, though, because it's just like, hey, I'm going to make this pick (laughs) if this guy is here you don't have any choice is yeah you do nothing about it yeah that's yeah, totally fine so i felt like yeah i would ask him is like hey so who's who's going to be the guy for you and, 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 and you know we didn't ever like tip anyone off there was never like a hey i'm planning to take these two guys in the turn make sure to jump me to get this guy because i don't want him to beat me um, right of course of course, of course. <laughs> uh, but yeah one of the things we were kind of able to put together he did the work he asked me for some help i might do a different version of something else to satisfy something else and never publish it because that's like 90 percent of everything i do but tldr he worked on reweighting csw by count to get you like an adjusted csw above average based off of the counts you're in and there were some really interesting guys that popped up high on the list um and I, I mean, I like a lot of them. There's also some guys, you know, they're just really good. They were at the top and it's not surprising. Mm. So imagine a pitcher list page with like a game day type thing where after every pitch, the CSW adjusts, you know, that's actually that's something pretty that cool. does happen on um, the savant feed to an extent. Is it like they'll give you the CFW I pitch into overall, but like the thing that this would do well is like, let's say you're, uh, I don't know. Jose uh, Barrios um, and uh, you know like you're getting a whole bunch of called strikes early on in the count and then just kind of being pretty okay but like the volume's good elsewhere 
you know, you just get into a lot of those good situations. Like he doesn't pop by that sort of metric. Uh, and it's really interesting for me to kind of think about what that says. Cause like on one hand, he gets into late count situations more often because he snags so many called strikes. On the other hand, he doesn't do as much with them. So I need to tinker with some of those things to figure out what the air quotes solution that I would actually want to be somewhere. <laughs> Is it just like my per PA thing? Is it something else? I think this method could be really cool for a per like for like a pitch level, like a so and so's slider, so and so's sinker, okay, or whatever. Yeah. Um because yep. that would, you know, it would tell you if when the pitch was used, it was more effective than average, or I think it'd be fun. So this is like a yeah. human tried it out. We got to start seeing what it looked like. And uh, you know, it, it's just fun to like put an idea out there and then someone else is like, hey, I want to run with this because my goal is that everything I do, someone else could just run with it so I don't have to right. do all the work. <laughs> I thought it was altruistic. Turns out it was selfish. That's okay, though. It's all good. I, I One of the things I, I really like about the baseball community is that it feels like so much of what we do is is kind of like open source. You know, I, I do this, you do that. Somebody picks it up, they make it better, they make it smarter, and everybody's kind of cool with it. I, I really I like that because that's where the best work is going to come from, as opposed to like you know I need to own this, and if you talk about this, then you know that that was my thing. You know, I obviously you couldn't have dug into CSW the way that you did if Nick and Alex weren't cool about like being open and having discussions about it. So I like that a lot. A funny thing, even before we get into like what we're going to inevitably talk, talk about today, a lot of the work that I was able to do on like reliability for statistics for like hard contact rate and soft contact rate and whatever else that I've done over the past couple of years actually spun out of being able to borrow the code that Fast uh, originally used to figure out when CSW becomes reliable. So okay. like, even on the very back end, there is just so much borrowing everywhere. And uh, yeah. Colin Charles actually is the person I owe some credit there. Like all my ability to figure out that so-and-so things work is mostly because he's just helped me out with stuff. Uh, so yeah, yeah props to them. it's a, it's a very supportive situation. We wind up with better understanding of the game and all that out of it. So uh, let's, let's talk a little bit um, about, you, you mentioned drafting and we are in right now kind of a mock draft uh, prepping, doing our, our reps for TGFBI. Um, this is my first year in TGFBI. Have you played before? No, I haven't either. I, I've always avoided okay. a lot of these contact uh, contests because like, one, it's a lot of work. And also, two, yeah. I was like, I'm not an expert. I don't know anything. And then, like, I realized that all everyone I know was doing it last year. And I was like, oh, never mind. I, I thought this was for people who are smarter than me. And then I realized that it's for people who are maybe as smart as me or at least as loud as I wish I was, uh, which is no, not yeah, we a can get in. It's just, I, I just don't just a talk matter about of stuff off enough. Yeah, it's, it's are we how are we going to do? I'm not sure. When those overall numbers come out, I'm not. Uh, I don't know. That might be a day where I need to be off Twitter. Um, talk a little bit about maybe, I don't know what you're thinking about it, whether that's the the league that you landed in or your strategy or like, what are you afraid of going into your first one? I know you're kind of fearless when it comes to this stuff, but what are your feelings about your first foray into TGFBI? So um, I joked ahead of time with, uh, uh, if you guys follow Jordan in Finland, who is not Jordan White, that's a Jordan Rosenblum. Um, he's a guy who does a lot of dynasty work, um, but is also just generally really smart. Um, we were talking about some of the work that I had done about um, 
per game stats and stuff like that. And it's like, hey, mm-hmm. if we don't land in the same TGFBI league, I'll send you some of this stuff so you can check it out. And he's in the same league as me, um, which is <laughs> just of all people, the only one that I was worried about. And uh, so I've joked since then that we're now enemies because I have to hate him in order to have incentive <laughs> to uh, set my lineups. Um, but I'm excited. I really agree with him on the point that he made that being good is a matter of just planning well and trying really hard to just stay on top of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the points that I kind of followed up with like, oh yeah, my research shows that leaving your lineup empty for a day that you could have not left empty essentially is like more than three times as bad as like starting healthy Mike Trout is good. Um, and mm-hmm. just acting on some of the research that I've done about like, uh you know calculators and stuff in like an in-season way instead of in a draft way is kind of my big priority i want to make sure that i am personally on top of filling out my lineups every week but i also want to make sure i think about drafting a team that takes advantage of some of the league-wide and kind of like industry-wide blind spots towards playing time aka if you're in my league stop listening (laughs) <laughs> I'm targeting Justin Turner around pick 120, about 40 picks ahead of ADP. And even then, I think that's a steal. Okay. And do you want to elaborate on that? Is that just positional eligibility? Is that uh, because he's going to um, be really good while he plays? And so, but but because he's often hurt and doesn't play a whole season, he's being undervalued. What is it? What is it that makes him the guy? It, it's kind of like what you described, except people are just wrong. Um, do you know that like Justin Turner finishes at top five like third baseman last year and played basically every single day? Um, there's uh, gonna be an, yeah, yeah yeah last year like he was excellent not every year <laughs> last year no but like we're talking like a per game value and like a, this year a projected right. per game value that is among the top twenty hitters. Um, do people have a bad taste in their mouth from before and they kind of have have like branded him this thing that maybe he's not anymore yeah and even then like there's going to be a designated hitter in the national league um yeah we're gonna get into that more later that's another thing but like yes we are it seems like such an obvious play like by my calculator by the fan graphs one that like has some broken elements to it uh wherever you look he grades out as like a 15 plus dollar guy which should be like in the top you know 100 top 75 at least um he's on my board as a top three third baseman and he's being drafted as if he's like, you know, he has an ADP of 160. It's insane. And that's the sort of stuff that, you know, if we're kind of like piggybacking on what Justin Mason said, but we got a hold of him, you yeah. have the opportunity to call some shots a little bit with your choices. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to set a min on him because I'm not crazy. You might. But I, <laughs> people have set some pretty low mins already, but like yeah, he's the sort true. of guy that I, sure among tgfbi leagues i will probably be one of the earliest to grab him or someone will have to snag him before me and i'll have done my job about writing the ship so win-win right win-win for you um i landed in a league with some people in it um so i am just hoping i I forget the overall i'm hoping not to finish dead last just in, in this this league so tell me if you know any of these names john hegland Yes. Somebody we're familiar with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Clay Link. Uh, yeah, I think that's a name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a name. How about um, Carlos Marcano? Mm, yeah, mm. I think that right Picture name lists some bells. Um, th- I mean, there's a ton of people. I, I don't want anybody to feel left out. Um, 
but also in this league, somebody that you may be familiar with his work, uh, Mr. Eno Saris. Ah, yes. Is, is in this we know league other, as yeah. well. Or something like uh, that. And so it's going to be fun to be part of it. It's going to be fun to be on the inside. I have no illusions of having a real, real uh, shiny star rookie season here in TGFBI. But it is pretty cool to be involved. It's it's fun to think about a different uh, kind of format. I, I don't play in these types of formats generally. I don't get involved. In, I don't even think I can in Connecticut. I think I don't think I'm I'm allowed to do the the money leagues on NFBC. So um, it's it's definitely exciting. I'm I'm super jazzed. Thank you so much, uh, Justin Mason, for continuing to do this and dedicate all this time to it, um, and for including me in it this year. It's it's fantastic. It's exciting, and I'm gonna lose a lot, uh, a lot. I'm. I'm ready to get old takes exposed here, but I think that if I try, I can finish in the top 50 overall. I I think that I can. I'm rooting for you. And, One and of us from this podcast should should be able to do that. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, all right. Let's move into our pass-fail segment. And as you alluded to, let's talk a little bit about the uh, revelation that surprised no one, but is still worth talking about that. Uh, the universal DH is coming. Uh, Major League Baseball side has already kind of agreed to it. And even though the CBA is not done and I suppose anything could happen, um, the universal DH is is all but a sure thing for next year. So uh, there was kind of this flurry of activity. Uh, Eric Cross want to shout him out. He was one of the first to kind of get to the what does this mean for players uh, tweets um, and he called out some players here. We could talk about individual people on his list. We could talk about people on your list. What? First of all, let's let's just get this out of the way. Universal DH pass or fail? The the most obvious pass of all time. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I just wanted to make sure we were on record. Pass. 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 Uh, despite the um, the one guy in LA who has now two days in a row gone out and been a one man protest against it. Um, uh, I think this is, it's, it's funny. It's, it, it, it's entertaining. I, who knows? He might not even be against it. He just, you know, wants his 15 minutes and he got him. It's good. Um, let's talk a little bit about what you think the impact here is on the macro and on the micro level. So there are some really big shiny names who benefit. Um, and like they mostly just benefit in my confidence of them playing, the first month of the season, whichever month that is, um, you know, it seems extremely, extremely likely, likely that Max Muncy, for example, will be able to play baseball all year. Um, mm. I'm not worried about him necessarily. Uh, I would love more information, but I think there's a really good chance that when opening day comes, his ADP for the week before it will be in the top 50 or so. I think he's mm-hmm. healthy. Yeah, yeah. I just think that we don't know that he's healthy. Um, you get some really similar situations for a couple other, like, will they, won't they? Got, we already talked to Justin Turner. Um, so he's yep. like, I think the guy that I'd be interested in there, they'll also Will Smith um, catcher in uh, on the Dodgers roster who kind of maybe were worried will lose some playing time to his backup uh, Barnes. Mm. Bar- oh, question mark. I don't know. Question I do mark, think yeah. I think that uh, the the past worries about that being like a fifty five forty five split will at least mean that uh, we're going to see a whole lot of Smith DH opportunities. But like that's basically the model, right? You take the guy that you're hurt, you're worried will be hurt, and you're like, okay, he can play there if and he's really good. Or you take the catchers right. who are good enough to actually be a DH, 
and they're going to play. So I'm going to get JT Real Muto in like the third or fourth round everywhere, like I already do. <laughs> and I'm going to be laughing to the bank. Or, or you can get Will Smith. Um, sure. Throughout the league, though, like, there are a couple other guys that I, I think are, are really important to take a look at. So like we're going to see some interesting knock-on effects in Philly. Um, I think Reese Hoskins' ab injury is not going to keep him from DHing, and mm, yeah. um, I I really like Reese Hoskins. Uh, I also think that helps Alec Bohm out a little bit um, yeah, because less that, competition, right? Yeah. Right, right. And they're already thin roster. They're going to have to sign some people, but like basically everybody in the Philly infield benefits. Aside from that. It mostly reads like Rowdy Telez. That's the one other guy I've been looking at his tw- tweet and like that's yeah. a really obvious Rowdy Telez has a job. I want to say aside from that, there's a whole lot of just some people are going to cycle around. Teams are going to keep people healthy. And just generally speaking, I'm not that worried about people in National League teams being crowded out of spots at the moment. Yeah. But we're going to be wrong about that later. So I'm curious, like among the guys who are <laughs> less locked in, do you have some favorites or some curiosities? I, I, I'm trying to think of this maybe in a, a slightly different way. I think that the Mets situation might get a little bit more clarity uh, mm-hmm. that they have another spot to rotate bats in and out of. I still think that they're very crowded and somebody's going to have to go in a deal. Um, I'm, I, my, my suspicion is J.D. Davis probably has the most value there to other teams. Uh, but also in a trade now, those players have more value because they can go to National League teams and DH there. There's going to be NL, NL teams in the market for DH type players, and they're going to try and get them because um, these teams are not built for a DH. And so they're going to need to get built for a DH. And and I think you're going to see, obviously, when the, the lockout ends and the season is back on track, you're going to see a flurry of activity anyway. Um, but I do think you're going to see a lot of those types of players move. So teams that have, especially NL teams that have had those utility guys or those fourth outfielders that fill in and, you know, they can swing a bat. Dom Smith on uh, is also a, a guy on the Mets. Um, you're going to start to see those types of players getting their opportunities with new teams because they suddenly have a lot more value and teams are going to want them. Um, but I, I also think about this in terms of like the long term and players longevity, um, it, because there's going to be so many more teams, obviously having DHs, you've just doubled the number of players that can play three, four, five extra years. How many more JD Martinez's are there going to be in a league, uh, are in the, in the majors because now both leagues, uh, have this DH, how many pitchers are going to not get hurt? Um, you know, like there's, I think there's a lot of good reasons for us to, to be excited about the universal DH besides just like, yes, this is good for Rowdy to and it is, but there's a lot more to it too. I think the most concrete reason why I'm pro DH is that there's a ton of research that shows that people need to rest to stay healthy. And yeah, it is a pro player health move, not just for pitchers, also for everybody else on the roster yeah. yep, to have an sense. opportunity to rest more often. Um, we know the giants are going to take advantage of that with their old roster. Uh, so Brandon belt curious there, if he's gonna be able to play a little more, but also like Evan Longoria probably stays healthier a little bit more. And that's the stuff that I care for. You know, if you want, well, the, it does matter. You know, if you want that reality where, you know, as people like to 
say in usually like an old crank sort of way. It's like, I want to be able to take my kid to the ballpark and him see his favorite player. Well, the DH makes that happy. Like it's either yeah. he doesn't hit at all and he's on the bench or, you know, he can be a DH. And I think, I think, I think our assumption that a lot of teams are going to have a DH is going to bear out to be not quite right. Cause it, you brought it up earlier. I'm going to give you credit. Teams haven't been built for it in the past in the national league. 60 game season but al teams mostly don't build that way anyway so like two teams mm. in 2020 in the national league uh the reds and the rockies like really committed to using a designated hair like it's during the year that there was a universal dh right because the shortened season right right i, I did some yeah, like yeah. like uh looking at lineups that year and it was like jesse winker was a dh and then i think like um the rockies had someone someone really old uh, is it matt um temp Kent, I I don't know. I'm I'm really showing off my uh, ignorant of baseball history here because I do not well, know the name okay of that player. It's okay to not have every fact about every team from the, all of the history of of all of baseball memorized. That's that's okay. Um, you're you're right in the sense that teams aren't built necessarily to have a single player be a DH, but I would I would. I mean, you might be right and and I might be wrong. Maybe this is just a misperception, but it certainly feels like American League teams are still built differently to accommodate the DH. Yeah, it may it may not be this guy is the DH like the Red Sox with J.D. Martinez. Um, but I do think that American League teams are set up such that there's the guy who's usually the DH and then you can move people in and out. And even a DH needs a break from time to time too. So I think this, I really like the point you're making in terms of player health overall, and even like the mental health side of things, being able to know like, okay, I've got this day off and then an off day is two days in a row where I don't need the mental weight of having to try and hit this, 92 mile an hour ball that's diving and darting all over the place and, and, and all that. So I think this is a good move all around for all of the players. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel there's something in the back of my head that says that I'm missing an angle here about why this is also extra good. And maybe it'll bear itself out as soon as we sort of see how teams are going to deal with it. I think the one other place I'm kind of looking is maybe like lead off guys in the national league. are going to get a small value boost maybe there's some like tiny trickle down effects from AL DH possibility guys who could then finally seem some more value elsewhere. Like mm-hmm. there's this part of my brain that's like, Oh, it seems 10% less likely that the Minnesota twins are going to go out and send a DH guy because there's gonna be more, comp- more like competition. And that probably yeah. helps out um, Josh Donaldson, who by the way, played a ton last year people forget him too there's another third base target <laughs> yep. late um but he might get some more uh like rest and that opens up some really interesting avenues for guys like jose miranda to get called up and play all, like right. pretty much all the time he's a guy that i have my eye on um in some places so like but like that's all speculation and it's all really marginal um, sure yeah we'll it is marginal but you know i if, if there are a, uh, let's say there's 25 guys who get 50 more plate appearances because of this uh because they're more consolidated um you know that can make a difference over the course of a season or, or you know somebody gets hurt on your your fantasy team in may maybe go find the person who's getting more plate appearances than we thought that they would because they've filled a role that didn't exist before this this year. So 
Um, yeah, I, I think there are definitely some angles there and some things we have left to uncover because they haven't happened yet. So there's nothing to see, um, but that will emerge as the season unfolds in this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about the DH? Um, there are some teams that like really don't have anybody and it's going to be really scary to see who ends up with those extra PAs. So uh, yeah, uh, good yeah, luck yeah. to well, the Nationals. There's so much time to have those things fall into place. I, maybe time is the wrong word. There's so much opportunity because there are so many teams in the league that just didn't make moves before the lockout that are going to have to make moves afterwards. I think that flurry that we saw that was very exciting is going to pale in comparison to what we see once the lockout ends. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but I think there's a lot of rosters that are going to be very, very different than what roster resource shows you right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, I would like to talk about our numbers of the week in a very different way. And I'm going to do a little tease here. Uh, it's going to be more about how to access those numbers because there's more and more opportunities and places to go, uh, especially maybe pretty close to home to the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Uh, but before we do that, we are going to take a very small break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show and we're back. So instead of talking about very specific numbers of this week, especially since we don't have baseball and there aren't any new numbers other than than projections, which we could use, but we might need those in subsequent weeks. Um, I would like to talk about where we find these numbers. Where are the places that you like to go, Alexander? When you're doing some researching, you're digging in. What are the what are the first few places you go? The sliders, right on the Savant page. It's your favorite. Um. You know, I, I, the very first thing I do, basically, anytime I look someone up, I'll admit, is I do go to someone's Savant page, and I have this, like, really quick scroll pattern that I always look for, is the immediate first thing I want to know is I want to know their strikeout rate, and then I, like, rough back of my, like, napkin calculate, like, their hard contact rate, and then I go and scroll down, and I look at their line drive rate, and I compare that with sweet spot rate, and then I go and look at their, um, their spray chart, and, like... I want to know, like, basically, what are you doing? What are you, what angle are you hitting at? How unlucky you were? And, but, like, I have this, like, dumb scroll pattern that I always do every time. But that's only <laughs> if, like, I don't know who someone is and they're currently in the majors. They're currently in the, if they're not currently in the majors, I go to fan graphs and I look at their minor league stats. If they're really old and they've been in the majors for a long time, I will often go to baseball reference instead because I want to see different stuff for them, like, you know, like weird historical data. So, like, I bounce around. Um, but it's all kind of neurotic and crazy and only like mostly Shocking. helpful at times. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, I one of the first places I go, and I'm certainly newer to this than a lot of people in the industry in terms of the actual digging in and analyzing and looking at, at, at the numbers, uh, is Fangraphs because it has so much. Um, but the interface sometimes is a little bit daunting. And if you've never done it before and you try for the first time to go, hey, I hear people talking about Fangraphs. I'm going to go look at Fangraphs. That page loads and it's kind of like, okay, I'm not going to look at Fangraphs. I'm going to go make myself a sandwich instead and listen to a podcast. And that's that's fantastic. But for people who want to learn to dig into these things, it can be very overwhelming the way that Fangraphs is kind of set up. I think Savant was kind of an answer to that, right? We're going to put the sliders at the top. We're going to try and make it a little bit more visual. We're going to have all these zone things and pictures that you can click on. But even that, you can get into the weeds really, 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 really quickly. Uh, baseball references is, is just, you know, there's a nostalgia there in terms of all of the historical data that it has. Um, and this is going to sound like a commercial, but I actually want to bring this conversation to something that we have to offer at PitcherList. And that are that's the new player pages, and and I'm, I promise you, Nick did not put a fiver in my pocket to say this. Um, I have been doing some uh, writing recently and bouncing from the different pages, and there are a couple of things about the new pitcher list player pages that I find to be pretty phenomenal and awesome. Um, how, have you had a chance to kind of check them out? Is there anything there that you particularly love? So um, I'm going to take credit for all of it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I don't get <laughs> I don't get very much credit, but I get a little bit of credit here. And that uh, one of my babies is at the very top for everybody's stats, and I'm really happy about it. So yeah, um, hard contact rate. It's currently there as hard hit per PA rate, but I think I heard a baby, a little a baby, a little birdie. <laughs> I was going to say a oh baby. Yes, I'm speaking to ba- literal actual a babies. little a little baby toy. <laughs> <laughs> a little birdie told me on a podcast he did with Alex Fast they're considering changing it. Um, so yeah, um, this I put out the hitter hard contact rate you know, piece uh, in uh, December, and mm. just days after the new site launched, I put out a pitcher version talking about the guys that change in terms of ranks and percentiles because you can go and find that data on like the new PL player pages. What I like about them, and I, I cut a bunch of stuff from my article complaining about someone <laughs> because I don't have to complain anymore because it's fixed somewhere. Yeah. The thing I like about them is at the very top, whether you're looking at pitchers or hitters, every stat up there is fair. And what I mean by fair is they're not some sort of split where you can be bad and end up good at that split. Um, okay. You, like everything there is like the big picture in some way or another. So like CSW, I quibbled with on our podcast pitchcon it's still like a pretty fair number for the most part um it's it's an honest number if it's, yeah. it's very easy to see what's in it so that it's it's its flaws are open too. it's is there's nothing hidden inside like a proprietary formula that you're guessing at yeah so and even then like, i i don't think that like woba and x woba are like really terrible black boxes in that like you can go somewhere and figure out roughly what's going on the quibble I had so much is that there were a bunch of unexplained rate stats in the sliders. So like K rate mm-hmm. is all PA, like whiff rate is all swings, hard hit rate is all contact. You get like all sorts of numbers on different denominators. And if you're not like familiar, like it's not obvious what they mean. So the nice thing that the PL player pages do well 
is everything is based on some sort of big picture, non-splits thing. So it's not per swing. It's not per contact, none of that stuff. And also they've got tooltips. So if you hover over, it tells you what it is. So it's just trying to be um, helpful to people who don't know in this way mm-hmm. that's really help. That's really, really straightforward. And also as a result, like it's really hard for someone to end up with a whole bunch of like red bars at the top without being really good. That's yeah, what we want. You can't, right. You want, it tells the story. I'm going to pull up a couple of, of pages here because I want to actually go through what it says. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to tell you uh, what one of the things that I really love about it. Um, to your point, it's visual. It's got the color coding, uh, but it also shows uh, the rank in the league of the player for that stat. And there's a toggle switch where you can switch between the MLB rank. So I'm looking at Freddie Freeman's page right now and his walk rate uh, put him 96th in the league. Um, his X average was second in the league. Um, so, uh, you can see that and then you can toggle over and see how that compares, how his number compares. So his average was, uh, 300. The league average batting average was 249. I toggle back and that made him 21st in the league. I can get that within a click. It's really, really, really helpful to be able to kind of see those things. I'll go over to, to Max Scherzer, same idea. Um, so Max Scherzer's uh, K percentage, right? It's 34.1%. It's right there. That was f- good for fifth best in the league. The league average is 22.4%. So that really contextualizes how much better he was than the rest of the league in that sense. So that's really, really useful, very quick um and accessible information that is actionable. Yeah. One of the things I really like up here uh, about it is that like, obviously you get the, the really easy fantasy stuff like at the top also, which is another thing on Savannah. Yeah. I always had to like go back and click standards dance to figure out. It's like, how many steals you got? I'm trying to figure that sort of stuff out. So having that too is really <laughs> just nice. Um, so like, yeah, there's a lot of quality of life stuff. The other kind of like helpful long-term thing is that I can bug Nick. And I think we're going to see some more things that I put together on this one of these pages in the future, as well as a lot of other work from other PL staffers or just kind of like the, hey, we're trying this out. The data looks good. No one else is hosting it. We may as well host it. Right. I have some questions that I would love to get answers for about some of the numbers here, but I'm intrigued by them. And my sort of mm-hmm. like default, I assume every member is broken mindset. I hope that's kind of showed up here. I, I think my stuff's broken all the time, so I don't publish stuff often enough. Um you know, like I go in here and I see, for example, if I'm looking at Scherzer's, we can find uh, like farther on down some really interesting stuff in here. It, you know, you can find obviously like left on base rate and home run fly ball rate really, really quickly. You can find Babbitt and X Babbitt really quickly. But if you scroll on farther down, you know, like you can get the other stuff that people have made, like ideal contact rate, which is like barrels and just solid contact and then uh you know, the flares and burners out of your total like batted ball event. So like my belief is that it's probably not all that sticky because I know flares and burners are not sticky at all, but it's extremely descriptive in like a really sort of here's all the good stuff put together sort of way. So I'm interested to see if it holds up or not, if it's a descriptive or prescriptive scat, but things like that, putting those up top for hitters and, you know, like making them accessible for pitchers. I care about that. If it's yeah. luck, you still need to know. Uh, so uh, if we can continue to kind of like chip away at stats design to do different things, like 
and I, I want to convince him to make a whole row that's all just luck stats. I want to make him do a whole <laughs> row that's all just experimental. Like, but well, I think one listening. of the cool things is that it has has the stuff that you need without making it inaccessible to people who are looking for more um, streamlined information. Something else too, and then I, I promise I'll stop sounding like an infomercial uh, for for these pages. But I really do genuinely love them. Um, especially for the, the pitch repertoire part for pitchers, you mm-hmm. can actually scroll down on the page and it's broken down by pitch. It shows you, uh, how often that pitch is thrown. It has all of the stats, uh, for that pitch. It has the pitcher gifts, which is important because that's where this all started. Um, it has, uh, strike zone plots and visualizations. There's just, there's a lot here and you can go find what you need without all of the other things turning into noise. So they're there if that's what you're there for. If the signal you want is the really deep dive, it's there for you. If the signal you want is less of a deep dive, but meaningful information, it's there for you. It's easy to access. It's easy to interpret and see. Uh, So I think kudos to the entire team that put this together, to all of the people who have uh, contributed their intellectual property and collective brain power. I am not one of those people, but I certainly appreciate <laughs> all of you who are. Uh, and certainly I love the nod to Alexander's hard hit per PA uh, stat, which that's going to be, as you alluded to before, probably referred to more as hard contact percentage in the future. So uh, that's really cool to see your work be enshrined in these player pages as well. Yeah. And, and I've talked about a couple other metrics um, in some pre- past pieces that I am lobbying to get on there. Um, aside from also just want to note I think we got to snipe it out a little bit and it's going to get fixed the good barrel rate I think needs to be on there still but that's just I think that was like an accident that it wasn't so barrels per PA I think is coming as well uh, mm. but yeah I want to get like everything uh, over PA that's going to yeah. be the Alexander tab yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but I want both I want people to have both because then everything yeah, makes more right. sense um, but like I, I also want to get for example it looks like uh k plus soft contact rates you know like uh strike it's like strikeout minus walk rate is the thing we use well my research is saying that we should look into strikeout plus soft contact rate as like that's how often a pitcher does his job essentially strike someone out or induces soft contact Um, yeah that makes sense yeah yeah or like the opposite thing for hitters you know it's like the hard hit plus walk plus uh I guess each hit by pits is, as well probably deserve a place in there. That's basically a walk. There are a few guys that seem to be good at getting hit by pitches. Yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> yeah. So those are like those are like some things that I've been looking into that seem like they could have some really immediate usefulness, even though they're kind of imperfectly weighted, and it, they also just make sense. So that's what I'm. I would like it to be there so I can find it quickly, and so other people can try to do some research based off of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So there's our, our shout out for uh, the pitcher list player pages. Again, I know it probably just seems like we're, we're shilling for the company here. Um, and, and we are, but not that's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose is to shout out good work. And these are really, really good pages. They're going to be, I, I really think that they're going to start to become industry standard landing spots for analysts and, and players alike. So um, once again, very well done. And thank you again, Alexander, for your contribution to it. Without that kind of work and, and effort that got put in by a lot of brains, there 
probably wouldn't be all of that really awesome information. And certainly the pages wouldn't exist without all the people who put in the time and effort to, to do the coding and, and all of that. Um, all right, let's move into kind of what we have as our, our central question, and that's to talk about pitching in 2022. Um, it has taken us almost 40 minutes to get here, but that's quite all right. The content is still worth uh, worth talking about and bringing up and, and uh, hopefully engaging enough for you. So um, as we are heading into the drafts for the 2022 season, which we are right now still assuming is going to start on time, uh, whether spring training is abbreviated. I mean, I think it already technically is, right? We're supposed to report. We're recording this Wednesday, February 16th. I think that some of them were supposed to report today. Um, if we assume that the season is going to start on time, what's kind of the important need to know going into this season about starting pitchers? The the landscape seems to be very different than it was last year, at least the conventional wisdom. When do we pull the trigger? Um, and there's some, there's some work that we've both done. Actually, uh, I had a piece come out today. That's really, it talks about opportunity cost. And I used a lot of players and names to talk about how different drafts could go and how, uh, those players could line up. They might not be your players and that's fine, but the concept remains the same that every time you draft a player, you've created another, uh, path in your decision tree and the path not taken is sometimes worth kind of exploring and playing with and mock drafts and that sort of thing. So you might love the pick you made in a vacuum or it might be a, a really good value pick, but that pick plus the next one, do you like that better than the other two that you could have had? And, and so there's a lot of that stuff. And, and obviously all of your work that with, with the pitcher piece, that is kind of the companion to that hitter piece that you put out in December. So what's the first thing you want to talk about in terms of kind of just looking at the landscape of starting pitching going into the 2022 season? The thing that's been on my mind a lot as I've done a couple mocks, been in a couple situations where I'm drafting mostly for real is uh, thinking about where I tend to sit in terms of my own skill set and how that informs things as well. Um, So I was chatting with Nick a little bit in the comments of his Twitch stream whenever we did a uh, a mock, basically the day of the site reveal. Uh, Mm -hmm. And one of the things we were talking about is my belief that relatively speaking we are much worse at pricing players uh like playing time and that at the same time it's extremely important to make sure that you fill out playing time so it's like the guys i'm buying are often guys who are projected for like 142 games played and I'm like, but at the same time I'm like you got to fill your lineup every day and that sounds insane and it kind of is. I want to. I want to be clear. You're talking I'm, about hitters in that in that context, right? Right. But then pitchers then are kind of like the knock on thing. If I think I can get a ton of value out of drafting hitters in the 100 to 200 range, I have to go get my pitching before that. Right. I think I am better on average than some people might be at evaluating which hitters are good, and I'm which hitters are good values. At least I have to think so, right? Or else I'm going to lose, right? So I, I have to think I'm good at something. Everyone has to think they're good at something. So I have to think then, what do I spend that extra draft capital on? And I've found as I've done mocks, I am getting a ton of early starting pitching. Um, mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean I'm getting guys in the first round. I really like to be on the first half. So I've done KDSs okay. where I'm pretty much always on the three, four, five, six spot. Because um, I, I want the best players on my team <laughs> but also i want like good people who steal bases that they don't hate um 
And as a result, I keep getting all these teams where I end up with like a a top 10 SP and then like a top 15 SP and then like a top 25 and then a top 35. So like in a 12 team league, you know, you you hypothetically want four guys in the top 48. I'm getting four guys in the top 35. And yeah. then like by ADP, by pitcher ADP, and then like letting it slide and then i get my guys late so this on the wire league draft that i did i ended up with like john means as my sp6 and like that feels really good <laughs> like yeah i feel what like does your I offense have... look like so that's that's the key question right? right you can i've got a killer rotation but what does that do to your offense yeah well the thing is i waited on closers in that league so my offense is actually pretty okay um but like right. the guys i got later are a lot of uh people i have quite a bit of faith in like I think that Tommy Pham's playing time is being underrated. I think he's going to sign somewhere and I think he's going to play every day. I I got Max Muncy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get a lot of those sorts of shots. But then I also filled it out of the top end with enough guys who had playing time. Problem is, I didn't have any closers for the first 12 rounds. And I, I hear that's a sin, but then I ended up drafting like three <laughs> closers in four rounds and I feel really good about it. But like, that was a choice and a risk I took. The thing that I was bad at, and you've got to be true, you probably need to be bad at one of three of saves, steals, and batting average. I chose to be bad at steals, and I'm hoping I'm wrong. But the choice okay. I'm making is to buy early among a lot of the guys who are in the tier 1B range through, you know, trying to make sure I have like a third starter who's going in the top 100. I'm curious though, you've done, you're doing this mock right now. I, I can I look at your I team am. right now. I'm sure you've you done other work as well. Who are like, uh, what this, are the oh, this is actually the only, this really is the only mock that I've done thus far. Um, I actually am pretty happy with it. I, I know that there are some holes um, and there were some people who got sniped ahead of me. I'm not looking at it in front of me, so you'll have to maybe fill, fill in a little bit, but I was, uh, who did I get first? Uh, okay. uh, I got can I Acuna. run down your team for you? Yeah, please do. Okay, so we are sitting currently in the ninth round. I was the last person to take a player. Um, fun fact. So you got Acuna in the first, Bueller in the second, Bogarts in the third, Cassianos in the fourth, Jazz Chisholm in the fifth, Jose Barrios, Araldis Chapman, and then DJ LeMahieu. So you've got your infield like looking pretty good. You've got a couple outfielders, and you've got two starters and a closer. Um, and then you'll have another option to grab someone around pick 130. There's some interesting pitchers left on the board. I think you've you've yes. done an, an, a good job of reading the room in the right way that someone you like is probably going to be there. I, on the other hand, um, did not necessarily feel like I wanted to risk having to pick out of the bucket when there are going to be the inevitable pitcher runs in the 140 yeah. to 150 range. I right. just knew everybody was going to go, and I would have no good feeling about getting my guys because i just figured everyone be grabbing like crazy like black friday sure so i got jose ramirez <laughs> in the first because i recently waited on third base and it hurt um yep and then i got judge nola gossman real muto darvish jordan romano mitch hanniger and then reese hoskins so i have three starters and a closer and a catcher and that was five rounds yeah. in a row. I basically ignored basically all of the traditional spots you think about you have to fill. So I am scared. But that's about because the you're confident in being able to 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 get those people and scoop up those people later on. And right. that's kind of the opposite of what Nick does, right? He, right? He's talked a lot about this because he feels super confident in being able to get those late round pitcher values because he knows pitching so well. And when I say so well, I mean 
so well Mm -hmm. that he can focus on offense early. And then he feels very confident about being able to put together a rotation. That's going to be very good because that's his expertise. So, you know, when I was talking about in my piece and I, I named players, I, I went through round by round and said, like, you could do this. And then that means that you can't do that. Which one do right. you like better? And whether or not the guys that I picked were the guys that, that you out there would want, the concept remains the same. And there's definitely value in going through that kind of decision tree modeling to understand if I do this. Where does that put me later on? Because every time that you make a new choice in a draft, you're further invested in you're deeper in that opportunity cost. It's unavoidable. Every time you make a decision, there is necessarily a bunch of other players you did not choose. And how does that impact not only roster construction, but positional flexibility, hitting versus pitching, but also uh, risk versus, uh, you know, like more stability. Uh, if you go risky in one place, you're going to have to go more stable later. Are you giving up on the the player you'd rather take the risk on in a later round because you have to be stable? So I, I think all of these things, they all play against each other. I'm, I'm good at being able to say this is what you should do. I'm going to be very honest, though, and say in a draft, I am terrible at thinking 10, 12 moves ahead. And I think that's one of the things that separates people who can analyze from people who play really, really well and people who can do both. It's absolutely amazing because being able to say, I understand this concept, but then being able to execute against it in the moment and have the, you know, be playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers uh, or 14 dimensional chess when everybody else is playing regular chess. um, That's really what separates people out. So I think the concept is really good there. I think it's applicable in a lot of different ways. And I think it plays into what you were talking about too, right there. Just, you know, a slightly different angle than I took in the piece. Right. I I don't think that we should walk into this expecting that you're going to be able to pull off a specific strategy. Like for example, I want to pull out some moments where I made some choices here. Um, I, uh, kind of walked into the four five turn as the number four pick expecting that because the number two and the number three, um, teams already had shortstop filled. I was likely to get a shortstop that come back to me. I thought I was going to be able to get Corey Seager. And I was like, that's going to happen. I also thought like the team at first, they don't have any steals. They're not going to take him and feel their shortstop spot without him. And then team one double taps, Corey Seager and Bobby Witt Jr. So <laughs> as a result of that, I have not been able to get a, get my hands on a shortstop in the six, seven turn. I picked up Darvish seeing, okay, they've all filled shortstop. I'm definitely gonna have a shortstop coming back to me. Team three picks up a second shortstop drafting Carlos Correa, who I wanted. I like getting those shortstops who don't steal. If I have Jose Ramirez, I missed right. them both expecting them to come back to me. And I was just wrong. And now I have this knock-on effect later. And I realize we're supposed to be talking about pitching here, but every time those things happened, there was a pitcher I took instead because I was like, I got to get in pitching. I will wait on the hitter because I really wanted to make sure that I had like Kevin Gossman as my SP2. I really wanted you Darvish as my SP3 because now I've got a ton of strikeouts locked down and I trust these guys to have better ratios than if I'm picking up someone later on like i like tyler molly sure. i don't want tyler molly's like flexibility and whether or not he's going to be good on a particular day to hurt me <laughs> um, yeah yeah so that's that's kind of what i'm going after um so i'm kind of curious then 
you've got Walker Buehler, you've got Jose Barrios. Those are some pretty stable pitchers. You're clearly yep. going to go after some less stable pitchers later, right? I imagine that's the plan here. Yeah, well, and, and depending upon who falls too. I mean, it, like you said, you do have to be flexible. I think the idea of going in with with uh, having kind of looked at your decision tree or what your strategy is is important. It's also important to know that the likelihood of you executing a round by round strategy and getting the guy that you want in that place is also very very unlikely. Oh yeah. So I'm I'm very very happy to take some of those people in the middle rounds. I've got a couple of targets later on that I I feel very confident in having uh, as the back end uh, of the rotation. That I think are are going later than they should be. Um. And you know that that that's a calculated risk that remains to be seen. I could be right. I could be wrong. That's true of all of us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely wanted to. I, I really like the idea. If you're because I'm picking. That's the other thing we didn't say. Like you're picking on the front end of this. I'm picking on the back end. I'm also picking behind Nick. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, um, he's inside the turn of you. Yeah, yeah, right. So I I really like if you're kind of in the latter half taking a, a bat. And in the piece I, I talked about, you know, I did 12 team leagues, by the way, in, in the piece. And this is obviously a 15 teamer to mirror TGFBI. But if you're in the back half taking a bat like uh, Kyle Tucker or, or for me, Acuna, I mean, listen, I know people are scared off because of the injury last year. But uh, what what position was I in? I don't even remember where I'm drafting. What's my number? Where did I get him? Let's see. You got him. I think I can count here 10th overall. A tenth overall for Acuna. I don't know. I, I'm pretty happy with that. So you pair him with a with a, a pretty stud pitcher who's going to get a lot of innings because there's not that many pitchers who are going to throw a lot of innings. It's just not the way starting pitching goes these days. You get the volume. You get the 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 numbers. You you've got. I've got somebody who hopefully comes back healthy and is going to steal bases. I know that that's kind of a question mark, but I'm kind of working under that assumption. Um, I think that's a really good start. Now, if you if you start there, hitter, hitter, that's fine too. It's totally fine. Uh, but then you're picking from a different pool of pitchers coming back. So that's that's where you have to feel good about how you're going to set up your what you do in the first four or five rounds makes makes a ton of difference in terms of what you have to do later. So that's really important. So I think w- another part of this is animating my choices is that I also have players in each of these general buckets that I think are a relatively good value that I have a lot of confidence in. And I think that's one of the, the things that kind of separates my mindset from what I think the general community mindset tends to be, which is that pitching is unstable or whatever and hitting is more stable. So, you know, if you're going to spend all that draft capital up top, you've got to nab a pitcher or like a little bit lower down because that guy in the first round is more likely to pay out if he's a hitter or whatever the mindset is. I have sure. a lot of confidence in a couple of the guys that I am targeting because of a lot of the work that I've done about contact suppression, making me feel a whole lot better about these guys. And also just kind of like being a little bit more likely to look at the luck stats than I think that we have been like. Robbie Ray being correctly priced after his left on base rate stuff. I'm proud of us. Yay. But there's some other yeah. stuff I'm looking at as well for like the guys who were really, really unlucky in some weird ways. So I really like Lucas Giolito and Aaron Nola. They went back to back. I ended up with Aaron Nola. Um, I really like you Darvish. His contact numbers look way better than we think they are. He had 
way more home runs than we would suspect from the amount of hard contact he gave up. So I think a better pitching coach next year, he's a guy that I'm absolutely hammering. Like the Manoa Rogers Darvish like bundle, uh, Joe Musgrove near there. Like, those are all guys I love. And that means that I mm-hmm. want to make sure I have planned around grabbing a pitcher with whatever my pick is. It's like after pick 85, the immediate next one in any, in any draft I'm in. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that makes sense. And that's the sort of thing is like, my strategy is determined by trust in like whole bundles of people in certain areas. And I'm curious though, like who are those guys that you're trusting later on that I'm going to snipe? No, I'm not going to snipe you. I'm sorry. This is rude. <laughs> we're in a, we're in a small no, draft there's, together. There, it, it, yeah, I know it's, 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 it's a mock though. It's okay. Um, and I mean, this is the, the Justin Toss talked about it when we had him on, right? Like this is what analysts do. They give away their strategy right, for content right. and then, yeah, it's out there. Um, I so I, I've got three guys that I'm, I'm kind of like planting my flags uh, on, and, and you've got your three. So I'll, I'll talk about my three first, and then I'll let you dig in on yours. Um, my first is is Sandy Alcantara, and it's not like it's a, a a revelation that he's good, but one of the things that I like a lot about him is that he's projected to throw a ton of innings. I think he's one of two pitchers that, by steamer projections, is projected to throw 200 plus two in the whole league. So even if he comes up short of that and he throws 185, 190, he's going to be at the top of the league in volume. And volume does matter. Um, it absolutely does over the course of a season. Uh, when you have 195 innings of something of good ratios, they impact the math more than 135 innings of good ratios. So that's Sandy Alcantara is my first. Go can, ahead. can I make a note on him? Also, yeah. when you throw deeper into games having a slightly slower a lower strikeout rate will matter a little bit less in the weekly formats because you're throwing more against more batters right so you just have more opportunities for strikeouts so that's always the thing that i'm looking for is i like to look at these guys not on their like raw strikeout rate once i figured out if they're good or not i will often look at their strikeouts per game and he pops a little bit more than you'd think Uh, so that's that's the thing i'm looking at that makes sense again volume matters it really does so uh, a 31 percent k rate over 130 innings versus uh 27 over 190 innings which one's netting you more actual strikeouts in your league not just that like a 30 percent strikeout rate over five innings versus a 25 percent strikeout rate over seven um that matters too Right, 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 right. So in the micro and the macro over the course. So yes, if you're in a, yes, yes. a season-long roto, it matters. And if you're in a weekly head-to-head, it matters. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring him up. Um, my next two are are definitely more off the radar. Uh, later rounds, I think Ian Anderson is going like round 13 or 14 in 12-team leagues uh, based on, on ADP. He went 122 in this draft. Okay. Uh, and this is a 15-teamer, so yeah. I, I, the round was earlier. but. Um, I absolutely love Ian Anderson. He's 23 years old. He has shown a propensity to have a high strikeout rate. He didn't uh, last year. He wasn't like elite at a lot of things, but he wasn't really bad at anything. Um, and, and what I really like is that I, I think he's poised to make a, um, a jump. I believe it was his walk rate. That was the only thing that was a little not awesome. Is that, am I right? Do you have his page up? Are you looking at it? Go ahead it looks and pull like you're it looking that at seems it. like a good idea. I remember for him, yeah, he had definitely a walk rate problem early on. There was those, uh, you remember those studs he had in the playoffs in 2020 where he'd like walk six guys, but like a no, allow no hits and just like cruise. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he has I a mean, great ground not, ball rate. That, 
The hard yeah. contact is a little higher than I'd like it to be, though, and that's my whiff on him. He I could think, get better, but though. here's here's where I'm going with that. If he can locate his pitches a little bit better, I think a lot of those other stats come come into line because he's not going to need to throw the get me over pitch as often which means it probably doesn't get squared up quite as much. He gets a few more strikeouts. And when that ball starts rolling for him, I, I really believe next year he's going to be, he, he's going to be dry, again, 12 teams. I'm thinking like round six, six, seven, eight, as opposed to 12, 13, 14. Um, I think this is your last chance to get Ian Anderson on the cheap. I think from this point forward, he's going to be a, a guy. I think that's the sort of thinking you have to have about numbers like hard contact rate. You have to tell the story for why it's lying. And for him, I, I think that's the story then. So that makes sense. And that, I mean, look, I might be wrong, but, but I, if I, if it was a certainty that that was going to happen, he wouldn't be going in around 13 for sure. <laughs> so, uh, and the other guy that I I'm really excited about, and uh, this is maybe a little bit of a Homer nostalgia, romantic thing. One of those things about baseball that I just love is I really want good things for uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. I want to see him flourish in Detroit. Um, I'm sad to see him go from Boston, but I really do think a change of scenery is going to be beneficial for him. He's going to be pitching in the AL Central, not the AL East. And uh, let's be honest, he got sick in 2020. He got uh, he got COVID. He got myocarditis from the COVID. He came back and pitched last year, but I, I it makes perfect sense to me that even over the course of an entire season, he would still be recovering, building up strength, getting back to where he needed to be. Uh, you know, at that level, the tiniest little thing about your pitch grip and your arm angle and all of those things makes an enormous difference. Um, and if you look at what he was doing with the Red Sox the two years prior to COVID, um, it's very impressive. He was incredibly effective, and I I think that the the change of scenery on its own, the ability to put the COVID and the myocarditis behind him, the ability to be throwing against the AL Central, I think those are all things that really line up in his favor. And I think he is. I don't, I'm not saying he's going to come back and you know he's going to be a top ten starting pitcher, but I think he's going to he's going to return more value than he's costing in drafts. Um, I think you're underrating him still. <laughs> like, I don't know where yeah. you're at. I'm higher. I promise. Um, okay. which is and, and being rude, but you know, uh, here, no, here, here the case for him is so <laughs> strong. Um, 22% hard contact, 21st in the league. Um, 27.4% strikeout rate, 32nd in the league among starters. This guy is not a Toby. This guy is good at two things at once. Nobody is mm-hmm. good at two things at once, really. So he is a guy. That, those are numbers from last year. Yes. His right, left so, on base rate was under 70% because he was playing in front of that admittedly not great defense in Boston. The defense gets uh, better, yes. the park gets better, the opponents get worse, and he's good. I think right. he has a not insane shot at putting up a top 20 starting pitcher season next season. Next yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think it's too bold of a prediction to say that. It's bold, but it's not like giant bold. I think um, I think a realistic projection for him might be somewhere in the top thirty. Like you're not yeah, crazy, absolutely. If you say top and you're starter. not paying that price, so I, I like him a lot. Um, you've got your three guys. Who who's on your list? So the first name that I want to throw out, like these are actually all guys that I like nailed down in like the mock we did in November. <laughs> Whenever we tried to set ADP. Uh, first is Freddie Peralta, um, best hard contact rate in baseball among starters. He's insanely good. 
he's so good at suppressing hard contact because his stuff is nasty and people can't pick it up that yeah. it makes up for his issues with his walk rate um and he's still gonna have a great defense in front of him on top of allowing not all that much hard contact so as long as it doesn't leave the yard he's gonna keep people from scoring and i just love him also as like a, a dude to watch because it's like chaotic yeah. good uh so he's a guy that i think has a pretty clear path to be a like top 10 cusp pitcher like he just has to be basically who he is with maybe even a little bit of regression of the hard contact and he can be like a sp12 or so and he's going later than that so i'm only yeah. worried that if i put my kds where it is i'm gonna miss on him because he'll I'll either need to take him <laughs> a little bit too early or hope he falls so he's guy i'm worried i won't get um the next guy up is alec manoa who like uh same thing hard contact rate really low about 20 percent uh strikeout rate pretty good uh he's he had just like rave reviews coming out of college that he was just like ready and excellent and he just immediately showed up and yeah. did that so i trust him immensely um uh, and also like he did it against the hardest competition already so yeah one, one thing that i really like about him also is like he's kind of a two and a half pitch guy with seeming possibility now that he's like established himself of taking up like the change up he showed only his first start because uh, he's currently like four seam um sinker as a surprise pitch basically and then a killer slider so if he can add the change up or kind of maybe use the sinker in some new ways against the lefties he's gonna face i think he can like really sustain what he's already did uh so i think the the case for him again being somewhere around uh a 50th overall pick next year is not crazy to make i think the only reason he's going where he's going is because people think that he can't repeat it uh that he's lucky yeah. or something like that and i don't think he was lucky um and then the last dart throw here erod was a guy that would be on the list here i've said sunny gray but i just want to stop saying his name um <laughs> is uh tanner hook uh who yeah. uh you're not going to be shocked here about what i'm about to say he struck out a lot of people <laughs> he did not allow a lot of hard contact and i think seems to be a be blueprint good. method to your madness yeah yeah i mean but like i have to believe that what i am doing is helping me and i am going to mostly right. draft the guys who are in line with my blueprint the sort of people who i think have a, a pretty consistent number of things going for him because i have to believe that i have a small market advantage and like thinking that i'm ahead of the curve on adopting something that my data says is reliable at 150 batters faced and carries over year to year considerably better than a lot of other contact stats. So like a yeah. lot of the guys you look at, like guys like Sonny Gray keep putting up these year over year, excellent hard contact rates. Um, and you know, the guys who don't don't relative to their strikeout rate, like Shane Bieber strikes out a lot of guys. His hard contact rate has consistently been less good than what you'd expect for your strikeout right but still better than you think overall the consistency of the outcomes makes me feel a whole lot better whenever i can look at someone's like like freddie peralta and say oh he did not give up a whole lot of home runs is that luck no no it's not uh, is manila's yeah. uh like babip on his slider unsustainable no it's not he's really good at inducing weak contact and we can measure it and that's the sort of stuff i have to believe i'm right on or else i'm like what else am I playing for? Right. Right, right, right. And that makes sense. And we don't need to go through every pitcher in the league for people to take that mindset and apply it to their guys or right. what it is that they believe in. Um, before we go, and we do need to go uh, here relatively soon, 
I, I do want to touch on the idea of uh, closers and uh, and saves. I know we did kind of talk about it a little bit when we were talking about our mock draft. There's tremendous discrepancy in terms of min picks and max picks. A lot of that has to do with league formats on NFBC. The leagues that don't allow for player acquisition during the year, the the solid closers are getting pushed way, way up. Um, but there's some discussion about whether or not even in leagues where you can make acquisitions during the season, whether those players, those elite closers should be pushed way, way up. What are your thoughts on, on uh, closers and saves? So the idea goes, if you can basically roll out two and instead of having to roll out three to be competitive in saves, it's really good for you. Um, and I think a lot of people are really scared at the idea that they would be less than first in their league in any given category because they think it's their goal to win the overall. And I say, that's dumb. Just try to be pretty good and see what happens. Um, because realistically, if you're paying full price for a guy that could be one of your two elite closers, you're not going to be able to have the other things you're going to need. You need to happen into Liam, Liam Hendricks, but you don't really happen into Liam Hendricks. You happen into Emmanuel Class A last year. Um, right. Who I think, if I'm not crazy, we took in a podcast league draft last year, like really late, and it panned out. Um so I want to say small dub not for that overall awful team. for the team. <laughs> no, that team did not yeah, that that one small victory. <laughs> yeah. So the question then is, is like, can you read around the margins where you're going to be able to realistically get a guy who's going to be really good down the road and then just wait things realistically if, if, if it doesn't pan out? The thing that projections and like calculators and whoever else get wrong is just kind of like the if someone stops being the closer, like even if they're kind of good, they're probably not in your lineup. Someone else is in your lineup who's in a closer. You're going to get more saves than you think. So as a result, a lot of like the scarcity settings and stuff like that, basically the trying to determine how much Josh Hader is worth for you systems, in my opinion, overrate slightly how much value they add for you saves-wise. So in this league that I was in, I was able to pick up uh, Corey Knable, uh, Taylor Rogers and a little more, um, uh, Scott Barlow, who are all uh, guys who were like in the um, like end of the top ten closers to the like end of the top twenty closers. But I got three shots there. I think it, one of them is going to end up being a top ten closer, and one of them is going to be off my team in a month, and I'm okay mm. with that. Taking that approach to value is something that a lot of like people who do the numbers on myself included uh, as at the very bottom of like this big argument between Phil DeSalt, who's smart and like other people who do models yeah. who are smart. Uh, they were all kind of unsure about how you should do these things. Right. And Rudy Gamble tag, uh, tagged me and just like, Hey, how does your Z score system work? And I said, it's a mess and I don't believe it for these reasons. And so I do it mostly on feel, but I think these guys would go in this place. And the reality is we know that a lot of existing systems don't work. And I think that's the thing you need to go in with. If you go in absolutes, because you're, Fangraph's auction calculator has hater it as a $25 pitcher. Just know that it's wrong. They're all wrong. Yeah. But okay. that's wrong yeah, in a yeah, way yeah. you can predict. And I don't so like this. This feels to me a lot like steals, only people are getting it more right with steals. So, like, Adalberto Mondesi is, I think, still on the board in our mock, right? I, I think he, he, he was the last time I looked. It's, pitch, it's pick 126 now. Chris Taylor just went. And uh, you can be the proud owner of third base Adalberto Mondesi here in a couple of picks if you want to 
Uh, and I mean, at this point, I might need the steals in the third baseman enough anyway. Um, but but the idea is he's he's dropped in this draft because people understand that he's going to help you in steals and he's going to hurt you in other places. The only thing I would say about your approach is that you're drafting saves and pitchers that are not necessarily going to give you good other numbers. They might hurt you in other areas. And so if you're looking at what a Josh Hader or a Liam Hendricks brings, it's the saves and not only are they not hurting you in ratios and even strikeouts over the course of a season, they, they help, they add up Um, even in week to week things. They, you know, they might net uh, on in a good week, almost double digit strikeouts. If they've got that many opportunities and they're striking out the side, I mean, that's, you know, three, three save opportunities in a week where they uh, strike out the side. You got nine K's to add to your total. So even realistically five or six is like two or three more than you're getting from a lot of the other guys that I'm going to be rostering. You're right. Right. And, and those other guys might hurt your whip. So at the, uh, you know, your, uh, your ERA, if they happen to give up a couple of runs because they have these saves, but they also have these nights where they're bad. Um, and so I, I almost feel like we do it with steals fairly well and we mess it up big time with closers where we really, really, uh, we are willing to look past the warts of bad closers more than we're willing to look past the warts of bad steals guys. So I like if you're if you are in the position where you have to do what you did, I totally get it. That's what you're going to do. You can't take a zero, especially in a TGFBI kind of setting. You can't take a zero. Um, but I do understand why people are saying like, OK, if I feel confident that I can get a hitter value and a pitcher value in the fifth round and the eighth round, then I'm safe in taking Hendricks in the third round. I get it. Right. That's actually a regret I had in that one draft where I ended up with all those late round guys is like, I really wish that I had pulled the trigger earlier on Edwin Diaz, who is like, yeah. I think the the guy that my contact stuff actually says is you should be looking at a little bit more. His one fluky <laughs> year was actually not that bad. And since then, he's been so good. Uh, so yeah, mm. Edwin Diaz, if I have to buy a top five guy, that's who I want. Uh, so we'll see if that ever happens for me. Oh, and I like Jordan Romano too. Yeah, and he's like I actually got. Yeah, his yeah, mod, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I think that we have talked about the topics we set out to talk about. Uh, another successful episode in the books, Alexander. Wild. So, Wild. any last words before I always say that? Any last words? It sounds like you're going out to the firing squad. Anything else you'd like to say before we sign off? <laughs> um. I, I encourage everybody to uh, not use Statcast barrels. I said it in a tweet earlier. Please don't quote them. They're not good, and they should know they're wrong because they quote them the right way on their own site elsewhere. They just don't list them on pay- player pages. So please use Barrel per PA. You can find it on their leaderboards. The one they give is just not helpful. All right. Public service announcement here at the end of episode, I think, 46 now of Dugout Study Hall. Um, all right. Well, thank you again, Alexander, for joining us. Thank you at home for listening. And Alexander, if you could let the people know where they could find us. Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked Matt. I'm on Twitter at chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at dugout study hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure 
to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.